0: reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back this week to the Reform This podcast with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Always looking to get you updated on the topics and the issues that, yeah, they might be too controversial for the mainstream media or for the folks that are woke and not really interested in getting down to the truth the reality of not only the threats around us but also the reality the need for reform within the islamic community within islamist ide against islamist ideology within interpretations of islam and also looking at any other areas that might be relevant to foreign policy domestic policy and general sort of clear-mindedness So first this week, I wanted to talk to you about what is going on with this Senate appointment of Rashad Hussein. If you didn't hear about it, it's because the media doesn't want you to know about it. Because, God forbid, we have an actual debate about an appointee that is of the Muslim faith. God forbid we actually begin to talk about his background and ideology. And Rashad Hussein was appointed... By the Biden administration to be the ambassador-at-large for international religious freedom. And that position, as I can tell you, having sat on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom for four years, from 2012 to 2016, he that ambassador at the time was David Saperstein, and he sat on our commission as an observer, as an ex-officio member, and uh, was not on our commission because the commission, the way the statute is, is is a a watchdog of the State Department to see if it actually does promote international religious freedom and for us to then either differ or agree in areas that are the best ways to promote international religious freedom. So while we had a congenial good relationship with him, in my experience at the time, there's a significant firewall, if you will, between the agenda of the ambassador for international religious freedom and the agenda of our commission that was really focused on religious freedom, except when the likes of Jim Zogby and others tried to politicize it as their their, uh, convenient tool against Israel and against conservative ideas. But this week, this month, we're seeing some discussion about whether Rashad Hussein is qualified to sit in that ambassadorship. It hasn't gotten the hearing it should, and some of that is forthcoming. But I do think we need to talk about the realities behind that appointment, because you know listen this is if you disagree with Rashad Hussein and you don't think he should be appointed to the position that that does not certainly does not make you an islamophobe and certainly does not make you anti Rashad Hussein why i think it's actually uh, quite something to behold if not almost bigoted to think that somehow we can't do any better as muslims than to have somebody with the background the ideological background of Rashad Hussein serve as the ambassador on international religious freedom. It was important to us, and I say us, I'm talking not only myself as president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, but Ezra Numani, who is a freelance journalist, former reporter of the Wall Street Journal, and uh, also one of the uh, best-known uh, spokespeople against the impact of critical race theory and Wokeism on our children in high schools, as you may have seen some of her public uh, work in Northern Virginia. And then Rahil Raza from Toronto, Canada with Muslims for a Better Tomorrow. We got together and the Muslim Reform Movement put out a statement this week highlighting the problems. We said that we've long valued the importance of the United States Department's focus on international religious freedom across its diplomatic portfolios. But as a diverse coalition of reform-minded Muslims, we are focused, laser-focused, and dedicated to defeating political Islam. And yes, many of us have had many long, productive relationships with members of the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom, as well as the Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom. However, we argue that Mr. Hussein's years of support for Islamist theocracies and autocracies is rooted in his Islamism, and it sends a dangerous message to Muslims around the world who oppose the hateful, divisive, and bigoted ideology of Islamist governments and their organizations. So, you know, yeah, if you look, Rashad Hussein scrubbed the internet of many of his controversial positions. It'll be hard to find him actually verbalizing support of the Muslim Brotherhood, but he's also not a card-carrying member. But who is? The Muslim Brotherhood is an ephemeral ideological organization with legacy groups that rename themselves and call themselves wonderful, apparently patriotic things like the Islamic Society of North America or the Council for American-Islamic Relations, but their entire position is one that is Islamist supremacist, that looks at everything through the lens of how it can advance the Islamist project in the West, how it can promote their own uh, insular cliques of Islamic ideology, their mosques, their, their network, and then everything else comes secondary. When pressed, they claim to be patriotic. When pressed, they claim to follow the laws of the land and constitutional principles, but while they may often do that simply because they're not anarchists, but their lobbying work, their allegiances globally, is with those, especially when they're in Muslim-majority areas where they can, quote-unquote, democratically vote out in a majoritocracy, mobocracy kind of way, Islamic law into place and out secular law. That's what they advance. And while they're here in America, the Islamist will... Work with the Erdogans in Turkey, the Qatari royal families, the Iranian Islamic Republic Khomeinists, the Pakistani Islamic Republic and its Jamaat Islamiya Across the world, hundreds of millions of Islamists seek the weakening, the destruction of the West's foundations of its American revolution, of its democratic revolutions in the West that were secular and post-Enlightenment. Rashad Hussein sat for years as the envoy for the United States to the OIC. And the OIC, we will remind you, I remind you, is the organization of Islamic cooperation that for all practical purposes is today's neo-caliphate. Fifty-seven countries, groups, nations who believe. That they are as Muslim majorities and thus Islamic republics who get together and yes, given any specific day, given their own devices, they may be at the edge of war, i.e., Saudi Arabia and Iran. But at the end of the year, at the end of the day, under the OIC rubric, they advance mechanisms to counter the West, to weaken the West, to put us on the defense. And the only antidote to point out what their mission is and what their agendas are are Muslims who reject their states, their Sharia apparatuses, Islamic law instruments, if you will. And Rashad Hussein, under the imprimatur of the West, under the imprimatur of the Bush administration, I'm sorry, the Obama administration, sat there and said nothing to the Islamists about their ideology. When the Islamists took over in Egypt... He defended democracy. We all defended democracy. But he should have pointed out that Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood were democratically elected Islamist tyrants, tyrannical theocrats who democracy is a one-way street for, and they will never go back to that. And thus you needed another revolution. Oh, he spoke up when al-Sisi, I think to his detriment, committed a coup to get rid of the brotherhood. However, it's hard to argue, just as when I was on the U.S. Commission, we went to Egypt. We met with Ann Patterson, the ambassador of the U.S. to Egypt, and she scolded me for saying that the U.S. should not support the Muslim Brotherhood because they were supposedly democratically elected. And Rashad Hussein was nowhere to be found, Defending religious freedom and what the Brotherhood had done took the Coptic minority and to others. In fact, he was actually running interference to try to push the narrative about Benghazi that he wanted to blame the Coptic community for the video that supposedly caused it. So here's a guy, the envoy for the U.S. to the Islamic tyranny club of the neo-caliphate and instead of just listening, he became one of their advocates against, against media discussions of one of the most controversial episodes of incompetence in American history, which was the defense of our embassy in, in Libya. But the more important, the more significant point that I wanted to make here is that globally— he has never stood against islamism political islam touting himself as a hafiz which is a respected position in islam of somebody who memorizes the entire quran these are kids who sit tirelessly month to month often from the age of five until they memorize the full hundreds of surahs 114 that is but chapter verse memorized completely. Congratulations, that's wonderful. That's 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 an amazing feat. Yes, certainly the uh, Arabic of the Quran we believe as Muslims to be the word of God and memorizing it is what we often need to do to pray and and worship the God of Abraham. But that doesn't that's memorization. That's not an intellectual deep dive into the lens through which you look at those passages, whether it's 7th century interpretations or 21st century interpretations of those passages. So the question is not whether he is a memorizer of the Quran or hafiz. The question is, what does he do with those passages and what lens does he use to look through them? Our Muslim reform movement is concerned about Biden's appointment of Rashad Hussein to the post of ambassador at large. Yeah, we welcome the appointment of a Muslim to the position. Certainly we do. But is this all that's on the bench? Such an appointment, especially if a Muslim, should be filled by an individual with established credibility and fighting vigorously for the freedom of each and every individual persecuted for their faith beliefs by regimes across the planet. And his history is not short. His history as special envoy to the OIC. The neo-caliphate is one in which he never took them on. Perhaps he might have defended minority rights here and there, but he certainly didn't defend the dissidents within majority, Sunni regimes that prosecute, persecute minority ideas, Shia regimes like in Iran that prosecute and persecute women who decide and, and choose not to wear the hijab. But yet he's focused on the rights of women to wear the hijab in the West. He's focused on minority Muslim issues within the West. And yet he made a name for himself as an envoy to the OIC, which I thought was going to be a position to disrupt the Middle East. And yet when they went through their biggest disruption ever, which was in the Arab Awakening in 2011 and into 12, I can't find much the guy said at all countering theocracy he just sat on his hands and listened and chalked up month after month of position for his resume so now countering him is not anti-muslim of anything this guy i'll tell you the best barometer the best barometer is if you're going to put a muslim in that position it should be somebody who those regimes from Saudi Arabia to Iran and Qatar and Turkey and Pakistan should fear. And will they fear an ambassador for religious, international religious freedom, Rashad Hussein? I am 100% sure they will not. They will not. Oh, the reformers will fear him. The dissidents will fear him. Because he will bring the strength of America's standing in the world, as weak as it is now under President Biden, but he'll bring whatever that brings to defense of the rights of the Islamic parties and the rights of theocrats to, to modernize in Islam. And he'll talk about basically political Islam 3.0. But he won't talk about revolutions like the American one, the French one the Western ones, against theocracy, against the establishment of religion within government. His painful silence about the dangers embodied in Islamist movements, Islamist governance, and their theocratic instruments of Sharia, or Islamic law, underscores why he is not a sensible choice for this position. So please, as you discuss this, The barometer for who's the right person should be whether they are feared that they will actually hold them accountable. Look at Ennis Cantor. Heck, the NBA pro player is bringing more fear and more acceptance from Muslims around the world for the beauty and the strength of his courage encountering. Erdogan and countering the Chinese and their crimes against humanity against the Uyghurs than anything I've seen from Rashad Hussein or anybody else. Why? Because he's fighting the establishment. He's fighting the Islamic establishment and using every resource he has to do so. The guy even changed his last name last week to Freedom. It's interesting. I think we all, you know, respect anyone who, who, Highlights and, and wants to remember everyday freedom, But what is Rashad Hussein done in his time, in his tenure? doesn't even, doesn't even light a candle to what Ennis Cantor has just done in the last month. So really, this is not about the fact that he's, he's a Muslim, and we're anti-muslim. I'm a Muslim. But heck, I want somebody who's going to be probably one of the highest ranking Muslims to ever be in the U.S. government to be something to be proud of when it comes to leaving a legacy against political Islam, not a legacy of apologetics. And mark my word, this guy will turn the ambassadorship for international religious freedom into a platform for work against Israel, work against our allies in Europe. To say that this is what religious freedom is about and the European countries need to work against their Islamophobia as we see with the struggles going on in Austria and France and elsewhere. Mark my word, this ambassador is no longer going to be focused on the countries of particular concern, which is supposed to be the top 10, top 20 countries in which religious freedom is not respected and destroyed. By the way, of the top 10, eight of them are Muslim-majority countries. Save China and North Korea. Last I checked, I might be off there, but most of them, a majority certainly are. As Muslims were dedicated to countering the ideas in the Muslim reform movement against political Islam and its theocratic instruments. Ezra said, quote, Ezra Nomani, with the rise of Rashad Hussein within his administration, Biden is sending a dangerous and troubling message to the brave Muslim men and women around the world who are defenders of human rights for the LGBTQ community, women, artists, dissidents, and others. Mr. Hussein has protected and advanced the illiberal values of Islamic theocracies that perpetuate a disturbing and hateful ideology of Muslim supremacy, male supremacy, privilege, racism, and misogyny, denying most of the citizens of its society's fundamental human rights. I mean, heck, look who is celebrating and demanding a quick Senate confirmation hearing. The Islamic Muslim Brotherhood groups in America, the legacy groups, The Council on American-Islamic Relations again released a release, demanding that his hearing come to a vote. Rahil Raza said, Certainly, if Biden is seeking to appoint a Muslim to this position, he can find he must be able to find a Muslim with an established, coherent track record against the ideologies of Muslim supremacy, Islamic republics, and their state-sponsored terrorism against even Muslims who dare to challenge their tyranny. Mr. Hussein had many opportunities to do so previously. And it's interesting, I think, in his position for international religious freedom, it would be interesting in his hearing if he'd admit that most of the victims, if you look at all the victims of religious freedom that happen to be Muslim around the world, the perpetrators against them, are usually other Muslims. So if you look at the majority of Muslims who are being persecuted for religious freedom around the world, the majority of their oppressors are Muslims. Muslim dictatorships in Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, elsewhere. Other Muslims. But no. The Islamic groups in America, they focus on France. Oh, that Islamophobe Macron. Oh, Macron. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the new variant. Omicron oh, Omicron. Oh, Macron is the Islamophobe. Or Sebastian Kurtz, the Islamophobe in Austria. That's what that's going to be used. And oh, don't even start on the Islamophobia in Israel. That's what the ambassador Hussein would end up doing. I can tell you, Jim Zobie with the Arab American Institute spent most of the time trying to convince me and others that we need to focus on Israel. Look at the press releases that, he, that his organization releases with its cozy funding from Petro-Islamic countries in the Middle East, down Embassy Row in Washington. And then it ends up focusing and highlighting its own obvious anti-Semitism. Oh, they'll try to separate being anti-Israel from being anti-Semitic. But who are the offenders? Really? Israel's Palestinian issue is about religious freedom? Or is Hamas exploiting its own Palestinians for its warmongering positions? Or are the Palestinians due for an Arab awakening of its own against its own Hamas and need for reform? These are all things that are not the domain of the ambassador for international religious freedom, but will certainly become part of that conversation if Rashad Hussein is appointed. And it surprises me to see organizations like the American Jewish Committee, the ADL, and others come out in support of Rashad, saying that it will send a great message to have the first Indian American become the ambassador on international religious freedom, to have the first Muslim American. This is not about identity politics. And it's amazing to me how lockstep the left is and how politicized these organizations have become when the bigger problem is Islamism, jihadism and Rashad Hussein is going to not do one damn thing to do to weaken the Islamist enterprise globally whether it's Erdogan's or Imran Khan's not one thing Oh, I'm sure he'll put India and Modi on the defense. I'm sure he'll put France on the defense and everywhere where it's a non-Muslim running the show. That's not to say there aren't religious freedom problems happening. Absolutely. And I addressed those with the commission when I was there from 2012 to 16. But the issue here is proportionality. The issue here is truth. And if you turn a blind eye because you're a Muslim and because you're sympathetic to the Islamists, no different than the progressivists turn a blind eye to what's done in Venezuela or China because of their sympathy for progressivism, communism, Marxism, whichever of the far-left ideologies you want to have, then you realize that ideology matters. That Rashad Hussein's position on political Islam matters, it's not about his faith practice or his own religious freedom. It's about the fact that things done under the names of Islam that are not about piety and personal practice, but about invoking a program that violates all the criteria of universal human rights that he's supposed to be protecting, upholding, and lifting up as the ambassador for international religious freedom. So talk to your senator, talk to your members of Congress and tell them what a bad idea and how many Muslims would stand against the appointment of Rashad Hussein as the international as the ambassador at large for international religious freedom. I saw a video this week that was just amazing and highlighted so many good points and really, this guy I think typically does architectural reviews of basically um, huge structures and and their beauty on a YouTube channel called mega projects and Simon Whistler is the uh, YouTube name and you can find him on Twitter and elsewhere but he had a video this week uh, that was called The Presidential Compound, Turkey's Insane Presidential House. And he goes through and talks about the insane structure that is where Recep Erdogan houses himself. And this thing is, is truly insane. You've got to take a look at this video. The cost is going north of $1 billion for this presidential palace. It's not a palace. This thing is a city that includes blocks upon blocks. Over a thousand rooms are included in this thing. It has a mosque, which is not open to the public, but simply for Erdogan and his family and staff. He's been trying to keep it undercover as far as what the cost is. And yet it is not only profoundly gaudy, it's horrifically for an Islamist. It's clear that Erdogan uses Islam for his own benefit. Because the the pietistic Muslims would not be so materialistic in their wealth. But this is what we see, isn't it? Royal families that have homes and and uh, gaudy expenditure expenditures on on material wealth with the average income something like the average household $3000 a year Erdogan is spending over a billion and it continues the, and there have been a number of stories about the corruption involved in simply the structure and how long it's taking. The presidential library there is is horrifically large and not open to anybody's use but his own staff. And this is supposedly in a democracy. What the heck is Turkey doing still as part of NATO? I mean, seriously, yes, we see major architectural structures that are part of uh, French democratic history, British democratic history with its own monarchy. But really, this, this, the stuff you see from Turkey to Saudi Arabia puts that to shame. And by the way, this thing, Erdogan's uh, uh, palace, was intentionally placed on Ataturk's forest farm in order to show that this is a switch. From the hyper-nationalistic, secular Ataturk to now Erdogan's palace. And clearly the AKP party, the Muslim Brotherhood of Turkey that Erdogan leads, is putting into place a new Ottoman, a neo-Ottoman caliph who believes in his political Islam and is working closely with Iran and others of the Islamist movement. And last, as a footnote, is the C-41 bunker it's called for the presidential compound. This thing has tunnels. It's supposedly impervious to nuclear weapons, chemical, biological weapons, and otherwise the cost is... is, is It has two massive supercomputers, and otherwise, that protect Erdogan from any attack. Also makes you think back on how laughable it was that... Uh, Uh, There was a thought that somehow there was an actual coup attempt when many of us said that that so-called coup attempt was a Reichstag fire that was intentional for Erdogan to then put into prison tens of thousands of the Kismet movement and otherwise that he wanted to dispense with. There's a lot more to that. Take a look at Simon's video. But I do think it's very educational about the reality of the political Islamist movement in Turkey and globally. Last, I want to leave you with a little thing to think about, which is why is President Biden having to uh, beg the Saudis to drop the price of oil? Why aren't they responding? Which seems to have they all of a sudden fell in love with Russia or China? It doesn't make sense. Well, why would they do that? Even CNN, leftist media, has recently had a piece that, from Monica Showalter in which she quotes, The move to re- release reserves from the Strategic Petroleum Reserves may instead largely act as a signal to OPEC nations and Russia that the U.S. is serious about taking action to lower prices after those nations were reluctant to ramp up oil production to reduce prices. Biden officials have warned the Saudis for weeks that the U.S. would find alternative solutions with the price of crude oil topped $85 a barrel, which it did late last month. But Saudi Arabia has stood firm in refusing to increase output and has priced in wrongly, in the view of the U.S. officials, the possibility that the U.S. reaches a nuclear deal with Iran. The Saudis' concern is that the sanctions on Iran would then be rolled back, allowing the country to ramp up its oil production and compete with OPEC. Ding, ding, ding. There it is, folks. Biden's oil production mechanism is to have America not back open up the pipeline keystone, which he threw away tens of thousands of jobs from when he first took office on the first day of his, of his uh, uh, administration. No, it seems to be maybe getting Iranian oil, the terror state oil from Tehran or at least having that competition ramp up and flood the global system to drop oil prices. How is that not the most pro-Russian thing that you've ever seen? They were talking Russia, Russia, Russia all the time with Trump, and yet it would seem that the oligarchs of Russia, the oil industry of Russia, Iran, and our enemies seem to be doing better as our Im- unemployment rate goes up as our gas prices and inflation goes up and we're headed to economic disaster. So, those two sides cannot be separated. When we're talking about inflation, when we're talking about gas prices, do not separate that out. It's not just COVID. It doesn't make any sense to blame the pandemic. People are back to work. There are no supply issues with the petroleum industry. But Or not significant ones, that is. But the price ones are because some of the main producers are irritated as hell about the fact that we are back to genuflecting in Tehran. Our fear of the Tehran regime, the Khomeinists, is what's driving them to feel more belligerent. And the Saudis to say, listen, we're going to show America then that they need us. I've never been a fan of being dependent on Saudi oil. For crying out loud, get our get our frackers working again and open the Keystone Pipeline. Yeah, that would be your best anti-Iran and anti-Wahhabi policy. But don't go and start saying that Biden just sort of a victim of confluence of things. It's strategic implementation of a synergy of foreign policy and domestic economic policy and one in which he wants to promote the strength of the Khomeinists. I'm sorry, but that's what Obama did, and that's exactly what the Biden administration is doing. It's been great talking to you as usual. Please tell your friends about Reform This Blaze Podcast Network. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R and find me on Facebook at MZ Jasser. God bless. We'll talk to you soon. This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.